Go first to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 22 and on. And then we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. That's two books of the Bible. Galatians is in your New Testament. And Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 22. And Galatians chapter 5. And verse 6. We're talking about tasting the grapes. And I believe that the Lord wants everyone here to enjoy the sweet savor of the goodness of God. The promised land is for you. Say amen, somebody. The grapes are for you. He said he made a good land full of good things. And those good things are for you and I to enjoy. The Bible said he gave us all things freely to enjoy. Not to worship, not to love, to enjoy. And there are some times in our lives when the difficulties of life make it seem like we can't enjoy the promised land. But God says you don't have to wait until you die to enjoy his goodness. You can enjoy his goodness now, today. And so I want to share with you this morning a couple of very important keys to being able to taste the grapes and enjoy the goodness of God. I want you to read with me Deuteronomy 6, 22. It says, Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt and Pharaoh and all of his household. For he brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded to us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our, good, for our good always, and for our survival as it is today. It will be righteousness for us if we will be careful to observe all his commandments before the Lord our God, just as he has commanded us. And now Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. It reads, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Would you pray with me? Father, once again we come to you and we ask that you would speak to us. Jesus said that man would not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. And today we need your word. We ask of God that you would speak to us. By your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I ask that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation. That in hearing the word they might receive it and it might bear fruit in their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. Say amen con ganas. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. I want to share with you a couple of keys. Really the two keys to being able to enjoy the promised land are found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. 
But before I get there, I want to just remind you what the Scripture says when we read in Deuteronomy that the Lord brought them out in order that He might bring them in. And I've come this morning with a simple assignment that is just to remind you that God brought you out in order to bring you in. In other words, God does not leave projects unfinished. The deliverance of the nation of Israel was not simply to leave them halfway in the wilderness, but rather to bring them all the way in to the promised land and to bring them in to their covenant promises. And God's attitude has not changed until this day. What God begun in your life, His Word says that He is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I want you to notice that there is this promise in the text where God says, I have brought you out. And what a joy and what a, a delight it is to think the, about the fact that God has brought us out. Where did He bring Israel out? He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them out of the household of Pharaoh. And He brought them out of bondage. In the same way, He has brought you and I out. He's brought you out of darkness. He's brought you out of the darkness of iniquity. Those sins which, con uh, which controlled your life, which destroyed your life and your relationships. He has come to bring you out of generational curses. He's come to bring you out of bad patterns from your past. Come on, somebody. He's come to bring you out of the darkness. But He's also come to bring you out of the darkness of, in, in, of ignorance. He's come to bring you out of the darkness of the ignorance of the Word of God and ignorance to the ways of God. He's come to bring you out of death. For you see, without God we're dead, the Bible says, in trespasses and in sin. But Jesus came to bring you out of death. He came to give you eternal life. He came to give you an abundant life, a life with God. He came to bring you out of darkness, out of death, and He came to bring you out of bondage. No longer to be subject to the slavery of sin. No longer to be dragging about the chains of your past. The chains of your failures. But he came to give you freedom from every yoke of bondage. And the anointing of the Spirit is here this morning to bring freedom from every yoke in the name of Jesus. If you want to be free, you can be free this morning. Somebody shout amen. He came to bring you out of the dominion and the control of Satan. You see, our lives outside of Christ are controlled by the governing powers of this world. They're controlled by Satan, by demonic forces, by things that are of the darkness. But when you came to Jesus, he came to bring you out of Satan's power and to bring you out of Satan's realm and to bring you into the dominion of his beloved son and to give you freedom over death and over hell and over Satan himself and to give you freedom over the uh, enemy's lies and over the enemy's strategies and over the enemy's power and grip over your life. He came to bring you out of discouragement and fear and anxiety and worry. He came to bring you out of those things. But he didn't just come to bring you out. He came to bring you in. He came to bring you into the promised land. Now what is the name of this promised land? Is it Israel? Is it Palestine? Are we talking about the geography on the Mediterranean over where uh, Jerusalem is? No. 
I'm talking about a person. He came to bring you out of Egypt and to bring you into Christ because Christ is the promised land. Say amen, somebody. Christ is the land that is flowing with milk and honey. Christ is the fullness and the plenitude of the word of God. Listen, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have nothing. But if you have Jesus, you have everything. Come on, somebody. You have received an inheritance of the promised land. Now, there is a difference. I want you to know. He brought you out to bring you in. Say that with me. He brought me out to bring me in. You see, there's a difference between Egypt and the promised land. And there's a difference in lifestyle. There's a difference in mentality. There's a difference in speech. There's a difference of how things get done in Egypt. And there's a difference in how things get done in the promised land. Listen, when you come into the promised land, the methods of Egypt don't work anymore. When you come into the promised land, the strategies of Egypt don't work anymore. And when you come into the promised land, the weapons of Egypt don't work anymore. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, I'll give you an example. When you were without Christ, if somebody got on your nerves, you curled up your fist and you settled business in a, uh, according to a particular strategy. Some of you used force. Some of you used strength. Some of you use manipulative words. Some of you use words that, that uh, you would never want your mama to hear you use. Some of you, uh, d d d you took on strategies and methods that were useful to you in that world. But guess what? You're in a new world now. I said you're in a new world now. And you're living in the promised land. And the strategies are different. So you used to operate by hate. Now you operate by love. You used to operate by strength. Now you operate by meekness and humility. You, op you used to operate by dominance and pride, but now you operate by saying, Lord, lie will be done. And you see, sometimes we try to use yesterday's strategies in the promised land. We try to use e Egypt's weapons in the promised land, and God says, I won't bless it. Why? Because the flesh cannot please God. Listen, you got to hear this. You got to know this. The flesh cannot please God. If you're going to enjoy the grapes, you're going to have to enjoy them God's way. And the flesh cannot enjoy the goodness of God. The flesh cannot possess the promises of God for your life. Some of you in the, in the world, when you got upset with your spouse, you wouldn't talk to him or her for several days. I'm mad at you. Call it the silent treatment. You know that's demonic. Say amen, somebody. Now I can tell we're going to get real tense real quick in here this morning. So just relax, all right? Because that's yesterday's strategy. Some of you would go to the door and you would touch that doorknob. You say, if I walk out of this house, I ain't never walking back in. Come on. That's yesterday's strategy. Listen. There is a new law in town. You are now a child of God. You now walk under the blessing of God, and now you don't solve problems the way you used to. Come on, somebody. He brought you out in order to bring you in. And he wants to bring you all the way in. He wants to bring you in body, soul, and spirit into the fullness of God. What did he bring you into? He brought you into Christ. Now, Galatians 5, 6 says this. In Christ, the only thing that matters, 
Listen now. Is faith working through love? Now that's a very important phrase. The only thing that matters. When you're in the promised land, when you're living the spiritual life, when you're living in Christ, the only thing that matters, say the only thing that matters, is faith working through love. Now we're going to say that again, all right, because i gotta, I got to have you hear it, ring it in your own ears. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. Now notice he says circumcision doesn't matter. And uncircumcision doesn't matter. That means laws and rituals don't matter. You can't please God through the flesh. The way your flesh wants to do it has nothing to do with possessing the promised land. And the only way you can possess the promised land is through faith. And I keep telling you, faith, faith, faith. You say, Pastor, why do you preach so much about faith? Seems like every sermon you say something about faith. Why? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And without faith, it is impossible to possess the goodness of God. Come on, somebody. Faith is the coin of the realm. It is the currency of the kingdom of God. Listen, in Egypt, you bought and sold by your works, by your attitude, by your strength. But in, in Christ, you can't receive anything from God apart from faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things unseen. It is God depositing into you faith for something that you cannot receive of yourself. And listen, if you can learn to walk by faith, you will start walking in the realm of impossibilities. You will start to see the glory of God in your life, in your finances, in your marriage, in your child raising. Come on, somebody. It's all on that word, faith. Now listen, faith is so important to God. God operates through faith. He'll do nothing for you apart from faith. And I'll prove it to you real quick by just saying this. God is not moved by need. How many of you have needs? Oh, how good. No, nobody has a need this morning. We got them all dealt with in the prayer time. Say praise the Lord, somebody. Well, if you have a need, God isn't moved by need. What moves the hand of God is faith. There's a lot of need in the world, and those needs go unmet. But many of you have learned that God isn't moved by your need. He's moved by your faith. That's why some of you have gone beyond getting your needs met to getting your desires met. Come on, somebody. You see, because God doesn't just want to meet your needs. He wants to bring your desires to pass in your life. He wants to bring your dreams to pass in your life. Come on, somebody. He wants you to bring, he wants to bring you all the way in. And the only way to do that is by faith. Why, preacher? Why is faith so essential? Because God is jealous for his glory. And if you and I operate in our own strength, when we get to heaven, we'll say, look what I did. Man, I really tore it up. I was a good Christian. And God won't allow anyone to boast in his presence. So if you and I walk into heaven, the only thing we'll be able to say is I'm here because of the blood of Jesus. I'm here because I believed God. Come on, somebody. I'm here because I believed God. And this is the only thing God will have in heaven. He says, no flesh will glory in his presence. 
Nobody will get to heaven and say, look what I've done. Everyone will get to heaven and say, this was done by the almighty hand of God because I believed God. God manifested his glory in my life. Now, I told you last week about faith, but I want to go a little further now because the scripture says that faith works through love. Say that with me. Faith works through love. You see, faith is important but the vehicle is love. You can't receive anything from God without faith. But without love, you will hinder your faith. And I want to share with you this very important principle this morning. Because some of you have a lot of faith, but little love. And you're wondering, why isn't my faith producing results? And I want to challenge you today as to whether or not you're walking in love. I can tell it's going to be a quiet sermon. I'm ready for that. Now, there are three things we mean when we say that we walk in love. Faith operates through love. First thing, most important thing is this, that you and I walk in the love of God. What does that mean? That means we walk under the revelation of the fact that God loves us. In order for you to walk by faith, you have to know this. Listen, people who think that God is angry with them, that God is mad at them. They think God's waiting around every corner with a big club to give them a smack on the head or a coscoron and put them back in their place. Those people cannot receive anything from God. They have no faith toward God. Listen, if you think your daddy's mad at you, you're not going to go ask him for a, for a snow cone. You're going to stay out of his way. And this is what happens when you and I allow the enemy to tell us that God doesn't love us or that God doesn't care about us. It diminishes our faith in God. And so the first thing you and I have to walk in is the revelation of the fact that God loves me. How much does he love me? What kind of love is this? Well, the Bible said he loved me even before I was born. Even before you were created, he had already set his love upon you. He had already made a decision to love you. The Bible says that the love of God was revealed to us in this. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God wants you to know this, friend. He wants you to walk out of here with this assurance that God loves you. He loves you with an unconditional and an everlasting love. You can't earn God's love, but you already have all the love that God can possibly give. Come on, somebody. God loves you. And you don't have to walk under condemnation. You don't have to walk every day thinking about what you did last week, last summer, last year, last night. When you and I have come to Christ and we have put our faith in him for salvation, the Bible said that we have been justified by faith. We have been declared righteous by God. There is nothing between me and God. If the blood of Jesus has washed away your sin, you can walk under the sure knowledge of the love of God and you can experience the fullness of that love. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 through 9, if you have some time this week, you can go study that out. There are, in those three verses, three references to the love of God. Listen now. Those three references in the English are all love, love, love. But in the Hebrew, there are three separate words used to describe God's love toward Israel. And that describes God's love toward us. The first one is a Hebrew word, which is the word hasak. 
And that word means it is an emotional love. It's basically the word that means to cling or to get attached to. Uh, it, is a, it is a tethered love. Uh, when you, when you uh, were little or you were younger and uh, they brought a puppy home, you started playing with that puppy. And you got attached to that puppy, didn't you? And, uh, and uh, you, you grew attached to it. You grew an emotional love for that puppy. Well, same thing happens among human beings, doesn't it? If you spend a lot of time with a friend or maybe your grandchildren come over for a few days and you grow attached to their presence. You grow attached to their, to their voice and to their uh, running in and out of the house. And eventually they have to go home and then you feel the loss and you miss them because you grew attached to them. God says to Israel and he says to you, I have grown attached to you. I have tethered myself to you. I am going to cling to you. You are, you are, you are loved by me. I have loved you. I have attached myself to you. And then he uses another word. This word is the word ahab, and this is a covenant love. It's a loyal love. God said, not only do I have an emotional love toward you, but I have a covenant love with you. I have made a decision. I have made a commitment to love you. Now, we all know that there's a difference here because uh, many times emotional love will run out. Some people say like this, I am no longer in love. They're saying they ran out of the emotion of love. But there is a level of love that goes deeper than your emotions, and that is a covenant love. That's the love that says, I have made a commitment to love this person, to love this child, to love this, uh, to love this man or this woman who's my spouse until death. I have made a commitment, a covenant, and God says, I have made a covenant to love you. I have decided to love you, and my love to you is a loyal love. This is what he says. He says, my covenant, I will not break and I will not alter the words that have come out of my mouth. What does that mean? That means God loves you yesterday, God loves you right now, and tomorrow God will love you still. Come on, somebody. There is nothing that you can do to, to lose the love of God. Then the third word is the word hased. This is the word that reflects the kindness of God. The compassionate love of God. And this word implies that God not only has emotional love and not only has covenant love, but he has devoted love. God is devoted to you. He is devoted to loving you in such a way that he says, I have set the bonds of my affection upon you. Just think about a cowboy roping a calf. God says, I have taken the lasso and I have, I have put it around you and that lasso is my love. And I am drawing you to myself with my love. You see, you used to drive by the house of God and say, uh, you wouldn't even think about it. And then all of a sudden you started thinking, I wonder what's going on in there. And then you started feeling drawn to it. And then you would flip through the channels and you hear a preacher on, on television and you would listen for a little while. And then you'd go through the radio and maybe hear somebody preaching on the radio and you listen for a little while. You didn't realize that God was drawing you in with his love. He was letting you know, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And he's drawing you to himself. And this morning... He wants you to know his love. The apostle Paul said, I want you to know what is the height and the depth and the width of the love of God. What is the measure of the love of God? 
God's love is so wide you can't get around it. It's so high you can't climb over it. It's so deep you can't fall under it. Come on, somebody. It is an everlasting and enormous love, an extravagant love that God has set upon your life. And if you don't have a revelation of that love, I want you to ask God this morning. Say, Lord, let me know your love. Let me see what you, how you love me. How much you love me. For the Bible said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So today, if you want to know the love of God, you can know it right now. Today, you can experience his grace and his love. But see, that's only the first step. The Bible tells us that we need to walk in that love because that love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, the love of God covers a multitude of sins. There should be a strong amen in here because I know God has covered some sins in here. Come on, somebody. Are you still in here this morning? I said the love of God covers a multitude of sins. Now we walk in the love of God, but then we walk in love towards God. Now, what does the Bible say about that? Well, if you read 2 John chapter 1, verse 6, it says, This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. And then in John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, Jesus said, If you love me, do what I say. So not only do we need to know and have a revelation of the love of God, but we need to express our love to God through our obedience. Our obedience expresses love toward God. Jesus said it. If you love me, keep my commandments. John chapter 15, verse 10. It says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I remain in His love. Listen, Jesus was our example. He said, I have kept my Father's commandments. I have remained in the Father's love. So when you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, He says, For this is the love of God, that you keep His commandments, and His commandments are not hard to follow. What did He say? He said his commandments are not hard to follow. I can hear the wheels turning in some of your heads right now. Pastor, I don't know. I feel like God, God wants me to do hard things. Listen, God says my commandments are not grievous. They're not hard to follow. Three reasons why. Number one, God's commandments are practical. God never gives you a command you can't obey. When you tell your children to take out the trash, they can obey that command, can't they? And if you were to go and tell them, go and lift the car with your two hands and put it in the garage, they couldn't do that. That would be an impractical command. But when you say, take the trash out, that's a practical command. God's commands are practical. He says, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Put the Lord God first. Don't have any idols. Honor your father and your mother. 
Keep the Sabbath day holy. Come on, somebody. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. All of those are practical commandments, and they can be fulfilled by you and I. But see, God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But then he says, my commandments aren't hard. They're not impractical. That, the first reason is because they are practical. The second reason that they're not hard is because you and I have been given the Holy Spirit of power. And he enables us to fulfill the law of God, which we cannot fulfill by ourselves. Listen. There are some things that your flesh cannot do. But when you get in the spirit, your spirit can do stuff that you thought was impossible. Come on, somebody. Your spirit has power because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to obey God. You will try all day long to obey God without the Holy Spirit's power. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to obey God. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to do the will of God. How many of you want to do the will of God? Then you're going to need the power of God to do it. And the, the third reason his commandments are not difficult is because his commandments come with a greater reward. The Bible said that those who come to God must first believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen, God rewards better than anything you can give to him. You will never obey God sacrificially and receive less than God has received from you. Come on, somebody. God will always outdo the giver. And sometimes you think, no, preacher, if I obey God, I'm going to get behind. If I obey God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall back. If I obey God, my finances are going under. If I obey God, I won't be able to save my business. Listen, friend, if you don't obey God, you're going to go under. But when you obey God, you will go over and you will go above and you will go in because obedience brings the blessing and the reward of God. Listen, God doesn't pay every Friday. But when he pays, he pays real well. Now, you say, Pastor, are you sure about that? I'm absolutely sure about that. Because listen, there's a day coming when God is going to pay the unrighteous. Right now, the ungodly and the unrighteous are living it up. They haven't had a payday in a long time. But there's coming a day of judgment. And every account's going to be settled. And listen, if God will repay the unrighteous for their unrighteousness, God will repay the just for their, ju for their justice. And the day is going to come when you're going to walk in your reward. And I don't mean you have to go to heaven for that. I believe right now some of you are all wa already walking in the reward of obedience and things are going to get better. You just keep obeying God. Walk under, under the word of God. Obey the commands of God. Listen to the voice of God. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So can I just encourage you right now? Don't give up. Don't quit. You might say, you know, I've been, obedient. I've been obeying God for all of three months, Pastor. I don't know if I can keep going. You keep going. Hang in there. Hold on. God is going to be just, and he's going to reward the sacrifice that you make. Listen, Hebrews chapter uh, 6, it says this, that God is not unjust so as to forget the work and the labor of love which you have done for the saints and which you are still doing. Say, still doing. That means if you did some good for God last week, you got to still do some this week. 
And next week, still do some more. And every step of obedience has its reward. Now, we walk in the love of God, and we walk in love toward God. But here's the last part, maybe the hardest part, is that we walk in love toward others. How does faith operate? Through love. Love of God, love toward God, love toward our neighbor. What does the Bible say about this kind of love? Well, this love is expressed in several passages of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says that all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you love yourself? It's all right to love yourself. You need to love yourself. Look, if you don't, if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. It starts with you loving you. So when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, say, I love you. God, God tore it up when he made you. It doesn't get much better than this. Now stop right there. You might get into pride and then have other problems. But just know that God said, love your neighbor the way you love you. That means if you're serving the mashed potatoes and you give yourself a big scoop, give your neighbor a big scoop too. If you're passing out the fried chicken and you give yourself two pieces, give your neighbor three pieces. Come on, somebody. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, above all things, be fervent in your love for one another. And 1 John chapter uh, 3, verse 16, it says that we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. That is our life walking in love. Now listen, there are, there's a test to whether or, or not you're walking in love. And this is the test right here. Whether you love your brother and whether you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Some people say this. They say, Pastor, I don't have any problem loving God. But my neighbor, that's a whole other matter. I don't have any problem loving the Lord, but loving my brother over there, sitting on the other side of the church, I don't know about that. Listen, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that you can't love God if you don't love your brother. It says, if you say, I love God, but I don't love my brother, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says, you're lying. Because how can you love God who you can't see? And not love your neighbor who you can see. God says, if you're walking in love, you will prove it by loving your neighbor. And when I love my neighbor, I'm loving God. And when you and I are walking in this kind of love, we are operating in faith. And that faith is able to produce the great results of faith in our life. So what does this mean? This means we can't come to church and sing. And then get on the phone and say, I can't believe what they were saying. Did you see what she was wearing? If those were my kids, 
But you know what? Let's pray together and believe because I really need a bigger house and I need a newer car and I just want you to get in faith with me. Listen, if you're not walking in love, your faith is dead. You can't, you can't go to work. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. One minute, please. How can I help you? And then you get home and you're slamming doors and throwing around pots and pans and making the cat and the dog scared of you. Come on, you're not walking in love. Tense in here now. Getting real quiet in here now. But faith works through love. So listen, if you come up and you say, Elder, please pray for me, I'm sick. And yet you are holding a grudge against your neighbor. You're hindering health from coming into your body. Look, God is so serious about it, Jesus said this, if you come to the altar to bring your offering and you remember that you have a problem with your brother, go settle the problem first and then come and give your offering. Why? Because we give offerings by faith. And when we give an offering by faith, we believe God's going to bring financial blessing and every other kind of blessing into our life. But when you are holding a grudge against your brother, you're, cutting, you're undercutting your faith. And your faith is going to be hindered when you're not walking in love. But when you begin to walk in love, your faith is loosed. I said your faith is set loose and you're able to receive all that God has for your life and for your family. When you and I walk in love for our brother, we're loving God. We're walking in the knowledge of the fact that God loves us and that God is good to us. Now, I want you to just chew on this for a little bit this morning. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because if there's anything that's hindering your love walk, you need to deal with it. I say you need to deal with it because it's going to keep you out of the promised land. It's going to keep you out of enjoying the grapes. Look, you can't enjoy the grapes and bitterness. You got to let it go. When you start walking in love, you start finding there's a power that comes with obeying the commands of God. It is the power of the love of God. And that love is able to make you forget things. Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egyptian slavery. And yet, when he saw them, look at love speak. He said, don't worry about it, bro. What you meant for evil, God has turned it into my good. And he said, he said, God has caused me to forget. I don't even remember what you did. You know, recently somebody came up to me to apologize for a five-year-old offense. I said, I don't even remember. You offended me. I don't remember. You see, when you're walking in love, you don't have time to hold on to something that happened five years ago or five days ago or five minutes ago. Because faith is bringing something into my life. 
And I can't let anything keep me out of the promised land. I said, I can't let anything keep me out of the promised land. I want to walk in because he brought me out to bring me in. All the way in, into the fullness and the plenitude of Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to just encourage you to let the Spirit of God deal with your heart regarding your love walk. How is your revelation, your knowledge of the love of God this morning? Are you struggling with believing that God loves you? Let his love in. Put down the defenses and let his love in. The Bible said that perfect love casts out fear. When you're walking in the love of God, you're not afraid of God. You reverence him. And if there's anyone in here this morning that would say, Pastor, I don't know the love of God. I have never experienced his love. I don't know what it's like to know the peace of God in my heart. I want you to know it today. I don't want anyone to leave this room without experiencing the knowledge of the love of God. And so this morning, I want to encourage anybody in here that would say, Preacher, I've never known the love of God. To make yourself available for God to fill you with the knowledge of Christ. The Bible said that we've all sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He didn't go to the cross for any reason except that he loved you. He loved you too much to leave you in sin. He died on the cross, and the Bible said that if you will believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, if you'll just put faith in that simple fact, you can have total, complete forgiveness of sin and be saved. You can come to know the love of God. And in this morning, I'm going to give you an invitation, an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask everyone here to bow their head. I want to pray for you first. Then I'm going to ask you to respond. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before the throne of your grace, your mercy, today. To ask that if there is anyone within the sound of my voice who doesn't know you as their Savior, who has not come to know your love, I pray that you will bring the knowledge of, this, of their sin, conviction of their sin by the Holy Spirit, and draw them to yourself today. That they might know your forgiveness and your grace. That their life today might begin. They've been walking in darkness and bondage, in discouragement and fear. But Lord, I pray you would bring new life to them right now as they walk in faith. As they believe this preacher's voice, that they would hear the voice of the Spirit calling them to an eternal God who loved them so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for their sake. I ask you in Jesus' name, if there's anyone in here now that would say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. I want to know the love of God. Right where you are, would you just raise your hand? If that's you. If you say, Pastor, I want to know the love of God. I want to know the forgiveness of my sins. I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you, 
You say, that's me, preacher. I want to give you an opportunity to come and to say yes to Christ. The second invitation is for the body of Christ. The Bible tells us faith works through love. So I want you to activate your faith this morning and take a step into this altar and just say, Lord, I'm going all the way in. You brought me out so that I could come in. And I don't want to miss out on anything that you have for me. And just be honest with him this morning and say, Lord, help my love walk. Help me love you and to obey you. Help me to love my neighbor as I love myself. Would you just answer to the word of God this morning and come into this altar and make yourself available for God to speak to your life? As we worship the Lord, would you come and just say, Lord, fill my life with your love. Come on, somebody activate your faith this morning. If you want to come out, he's calling you. He's calling you out that he might bring you in to the fullness of Christ.